0: Welcome to the Talks by Aspiu GAMESI Season 2.
1: Episode 2. Hello, people. Welcome back to our podcast. And today, we're going to have some interesting topic to discuss.
0: Yes, that's right. Because finally, we get our first guest speaker to our podcast. And we're going to talk about the actual condition of petroleum industry.
1: It's not only going to be about petrol industry technically, but also in the perspective of the economic and also social. Of course, here with us, I'm Fia,
0: and I'm Fandi. Well, I guess we need to give a brief introduction to our listeners about our today's episode speakers before we greet him, Fia.
1: Okay, go ahead, Fandi.
0: Okay, thank you. So today we have Mr. Putra Adriguna. He is an energy specialist at Institute of Energy Economics and Financial Analysis he finishes his bachelor study at petroleum industry in institute of technology bandung then continue his study in texas A&M university also london school of economic and political science now he focuses on energy economics social politics and public policy
1: that's really cool and i need to mention that his enormous intelligence and skill brings him to become keynote speakers in many seminars also events there are many more of his contribution to energy if you take a look at his LinkedIn. But for now, let's welcome our speaker, Mr. Putra. Hello, Mr. Putra.
2: Hi, Mr. Putra. Hello, Mafia, Mas Fandi. Thank you for having me. Very good uh, morning that we have on the discussion today.
1: Yes, it is such a um, honor for us to have you as our speaker, Mr. Putra. So how are you, Mr. Putra?
2: I'm doing well, thank you. So how are you doing? Um in the on your side.
1: I'm very good
2: also yes first oh, of all I, I think first. I briefly I'd like to acknowledge that this is a very good initiative by SPSC um, is a very good topic and hopefully that our discussion today can reveal some of the most interesting detail about the oil and gas industry as well looking forward to the discussion
1: well thank you so much Mr. Podra it will be greater if you being the speaker of this uh, podcast of course okay so I'm going to open this conversation with uh, factual news about our topic, Mr. Putra, so I have a question. Uh, what are challenges facing petroleum industry right now?
2: So I think petroleum industry, you know, when we look at globally, uh, we need to acknowledge that there are two distinct challenges. The first one is that we're facing a decline in investment uh, within the past few years, especially within the COVID period. Now, at the same time, there is another bigger challenge is is that there is a growing attention on the climate change. Now, one key tagline that I'm interested to explore more is that right now there is a lot of uh, shifting in the capital and the policies across the world that is actually changing the entire energy sector. Petroleum industry is a very big industry, right? Oil and gas accounts for more than half of the entire globe energy consumption. So it'll be a very long time before we can replace them. But these big challenges will be crucial um, for the young generation especially to understand as you guys want to pave your career forward in the petroleum industry. So I guess that's a starting statement for me.
0: So it's gonna be a big challenge for us, yeah, Mr. Butra. And then uh my question is how we can maintain the challenge how we can maintain the industry considering the challenge that we're going to facing tomorrow.
2: So I think first of all, uh, let let me start very broadly um, that when we talk about the energy industry and especially the petroleum industry, you're dealing with a a very long-term investment that is very responsive to the short-term market. Let me give you an example. The reason I want to explain this is to make sure that we're all uh, on the same page. Like when you put in a a new investment in the oil and gas, you're looking at at least 15, 20 years, maybe even more, 30 years of investment. Like when you build up a new LNG plant, for example. So at the same time, the oil and gas industry, as we know, is a very commoditified industry, which means that price spikes happens all the time when the demand and the supply balance uh, is disrupted. If we go back just very briefly talking about the COVID-19, we see how the oil and gas industry encountered a massive demand shock, where the demand suddenly declined because people stopped traveling and whatnot. And also another example is if you notice the gas industry, the gas industry globally has been fairly stable in recent years. But uh, in the last winter, suddenly because of a high demand of a colder winter in Asia, and also some disruption in the shipping lanes in in some of the world transportation routes, suddenly the gas price spike. So how do we prepare for such a volatile environment? Now this is a big challenge. If we want to talk uh, very broadly, that is the big challenge that the young generation need to understand. Now, I also want to remind you that some people will say, well, the cycle that's happening today will reverse again. My personal opinion is that this cycle of the investment will play out quite differently from the cycle of the past. What I'm saying is this: we are seeing uh, the same, you know, super cycle. You know, some people has a theory about super cycle that oil and gas price goes up and then goes down and goes up again in twenty years or thirty years. Now, if we look at what happened today, is that other than the oil and gas sector. The young generation need to acknowledge that there is a a different shift happening on the other side of the panel. That is, there is a cost deflation, a reduction in the energy cost in several renewable energy technologies. We're seeing policy momentum of people paying attention to the climate change. And we're seeing as well, some investors are looking more on the energy side as a whole because they're looking at this oil and gas, you know, sometimes it's too volatile. Now, when we will talk about, so what What do we need to do in Indonesia, for example? I guess that's another question that you will bring up later on. But uh, Indonesia, first of all, need to wake up to the reality. You know, uh, we've gone through so many phases since the 1970s up to today. But if I can bring a, a single statement is that Indonesia needs to wake up to the reality that the oil and gas sector of the day is not the same one that we've been facing five ten or even 20 years ago Uh, and then we could explore that statement further because as you know we now we have a bigger pertamina we have uh, multiple noc's that may not be around anymore so uh, let's let's talk about that so first of all we need to wake up you know and smell the coffee i would say you know we we need we need to wake up to the reality that the, the time is very different today
1: okay so I heard about the massive changing in our energy industry after the COVID-19 and oh, not after because today we're still facing with it so I want to know this that give a lot difference in our economic growth uh, not only until now but for the next decades maybe Mr. Putra.
2: When we talk about economic growth and uh price of oil for example right or the oil industry well first of all uh, I would I want to be careful when we correlate these two things because in the economic world, we there is a term that we call correlation shopping. Correlation shopping means is that you're trying to find a correlation of A and B, where such correlation may not be very related to each other, right? So, so I want to be careful uh, in 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 uh, explaining that. Now, when we want to talk about uh, the effect of oil and gas and Indonesia specifically of economic development, we need to look into two things first. You know, what is the nature of Indonesia's economy and what is the nature of the government's income? Now, let's explore these uh, at this, you know, one at a time. When we look at Indonesia's history, we have gone from a country that has been relying significantly um, from the 1970s, where significant part of Indonesia's gross domestic products relies on the oil and gas. But now, um, it, it's not so much the case. You know. uh, World Bank has an index that they call the oil rent. Uh, oil rent is basically you know, how much uh, of uh, profit is extracted from the oil and gas industry, or oil industry to be specific. You know, The number has gone down from 25% to about 1% today within the past 30 to 40 years. So that's on the economic side. So we need to acknowledge that there is a lot of history in Indonesia's oil and gas sector. But now, we also need to acknowledge what has been happening over the last 20-30 years. Now, the second part of the equation is talking about the government income. Uh, the fancy word for this is the fiscal, uh, fiscal policy. You know, how much money is the government getting? Now, on this number as well, um, we need to acknowledge that in the 2000s, you know, in the early 2000s, Indonesia's government budget, almost 40% of them comes from the oil and gas sector. And today, we're looking at something around 9%. Now, these two things uh, influence how the government make policies about oil and gas. When we want to talk about what is the impact, I would say the impact on the internal economy right now is not as significant as it was 20, 30 years ago. But the impact toward our currency can be significant. So th- these are two different sides. But I just like to you know explore that, that uh explanation is that when we want to talk about economy and the oil and gas industry let's look at it by numbers the numbers of the contribution toward the gdp the numbers on the contribution toward the government budget because it will decide how the government prioritizes oil and gas but also at the same time and probably you're very familiar with this that we're importing a lot of oil so um in that part the effect of importing too many things to indonesian uh, shores, like when we're importing too many oil, the impact is that we will have a weakening rupiah. And as rupiah deteriorates, the effect can be positive or negative. But the, the final statement I'd like to make about energy, and now I'm using the term energy, is that because we need to see oil as just another form of energy. At the end of the day, the economic growth of Indonesia will need to rely on its industrial plant. So if we can, if I can take you a bit, you know, a walk to the history. Back then, when we had a lot of oil and gas in our ground, um, the big question is that where has those money has been allocated to? Because right now, on the positive side, Indonesia still has a lot of gas, probably for the next 15 to 20 years. So if you notice that Indonesia has implemented uh, basically a low-cost gas policy, The government implemented a low-cost gas policy for the seven key industries and the power sector. We can view this as both positive and negatively. Uh, But I'd like to touch briefly on the positive side. Okay, let's assume that Indonesia has a lot of gas, which we do right now, at least for the next 15 to 20 years. The reason for this policy is that the government wants to control the price of gas so that the industry can develop on the backbone of this low-cost gas. So now it comes to, again, comes back to my statement earlier, is that when we talk about economic growth, Indonesia needs to have a clear industrial plan. Cheap energy doesn't lead to anything if it doesn't coincide with a clear industrial plan. You know, what industry does Indonesia want to be advanced of? Now we're seeing some good news on, uh, for example, on the battery sector. I heard rumors that it'll be developed, but we'll see what's going to come up. So I guess that's... uh, Let's explore from there. Is that at the end of the day, energy, oil and gas price and whatnot is important, but it's also important to consider it as a factor of developing our industry, and therefore we need to have a clear industrial plan, not just cheap energy in itself.
1: Wow, that's a incredible story about uh, Indonesian economic side about um, about this energy industry. So. We have heard the growth of petroleum industry nowadays, but I have some curiosities also, Mr. Putra. With all those challenges Indonesia facing right now uh, and also globally it can be globally, ups and downs of this industry, uh, who exactly has the big role to control this industry? Maybe Mr. Putra has mentioned about the government, etc, but I mean I want to know about some facts behind this petroleum industry that maybe most of people won't share to public with some reasons obviously like that.
2: Okay. First of all, because I'm speaking mostly with your generation, which is very young, you know, highly driven, and you want to know what's in your future, right? So I'd like to, I'd like to remind everybody who's listening is that always look beyond the headlines. You know, there is a lot of headlines. There is a lot of news and on the TV, on the newspaper. There's a lot of government statement here and there. Now, as a young generation, I'm sure all of you are critical thinkers. You want to know exactly what's going on. And for that, I'm encouraging all of you to actually look deeper into sources that can give you a clear idea of what's happening in the oil and gas and the energy sector. To me, if you ask, it's a very simple question, but it's a very difficult one to answer. That's why uh, if you ask me in a single statement, who is has the most power to influence Indonesia's oil and gas? You know, two things. First is of course the executive cabinet, and secondly is the parliament. So those two plays a big role in where Indonesia is heading. Um, Let me give you an example, right? Most of you probably were not in college when this happened. About 10 years ago or more, um, Indonesia has what we call the Undang-Undang Migas. That's basically the, you know, one of the key regulations that's managing Indonesia's oil and gas sector. Now, back then, there is a big commotion talking about there is a, a large foreign ownership in Indonesia's oil and gas. And therefore, there is a a motion coming to the Mahkamah Konstitusi to say that we need to restructure the way Indonesia run the oil and gas. Now, first of all, I do think that they have some justifications, which is valid. Um, We have, you know, clear public figures also involved in the process. so the reasoning behind it is understandable. You know, back then, we, we have foreign companies, you know, we see Total, Chevron, ExxonMobil. you know, the whole lot. We see a lot of international companies uh, playing a key role in Indonesia's oil production. So they have a lot of justification behind them. But what happened afterward is that Indonesia is shifting its policy in the regulations, you know, there are some changes. Uh, back then, there is the change from BP MIGAS and then there is a shift becoming the SKK MIGAS. And there's a lot of changes in Indonesian key regulations, the UU MIGAS. Now, what nobody foresee is, of course, the oil and gas price would crash as the shale boom exploded in the United States. So, these events are seemingly unrelated in my personal opinion. This is just a sequence of events that nobody foresee take place the effects will most likely be irreversible so let me explain that for a bit so when Indonesia start changing its regulatory uh, its regulations of course there's a lot of people you know the public and investors are paying attention oh okay people want to see that Indonesia now want to have a bigger portion of their national um, companies such as Pertamina into the oil and gas industry therefore a side effect of those you can see that in the past 10 years there has been a lot of decline in the oil and gas investment but what makes it even more complicated is that at the same time we're seeing the shale boom and the 2014 you know the, the oil price goes to $100 and then boom you know it crashes to $30 so when indonesia start to change our regulation unfortunately i would have to say is that a massive shift in the global market is taking place Therefore, the foreign oil companies as well, they want to make priorities. And when they want to make priorities, they need to, you know, put it on the list. You know, there is say there's 50 countries that is on their investment portfolio. They need to decide which countries would be better or not. Now, so I hope that gives a background explanation that to me, those two seemingly unrelated events actually determine Indonesia's current oil and gas position now, back then somebody changes the regulation which has their own justification but then later the oil and gas industry encountered a volatile phase so today we're facing a very unique situation in which pertamina if i recall correctly by 2021 as they take over rokan they will take at least 60 65 percent of indonesia's production now this phase has never been encountered in the past where most of the oil and gas uh, ioc international oil companies has also left the country We've seen Total, which was previously in Mahakam, now is departing. Uh, Chevron has also departed as well. And probably, we will have to see, maybe Exxon in the next few years as their field matures. Now, so this trend is something that the young generation need to understand very clearly, is that our key challenges lies in regulations, policies, and politics. To me, the challenge is not technical. You know, people can you know people can explain otherwise, but to me the challenge has always been politics and regulations. It is a very difficult line to cross. I know. You know, when some people will say we want Indonesia's resource on our own, well, it's fine. They have their justification, and the others say, uh, but how do we explore if we don't have enough funding to you know to do a deep water exploration that costs two hundred million dollar a well? They also have their justifications. So. Between these two, to me, the biggest drivers would always be the executive and the parliament. Pertamina is a key player, but it cannot move. You know, it has its own challenges in itself. Like Pertamina has a lot of internal, uh, I would say, financial challenges. And also it has, uh, it has to adapt to its new role. If you notice, to give you a bit of a background, as a company grows, they need to adapt into their new position. Now, Pertamina growth in the recent year has been massive. They have gone from a companies that is, you know, basically comprised of Pertamina EP and then PHE Pertamina Hulu Energy, and then they absorb Total in Mahakam, and now they'll be absorbing the the Rokan, which is the biggest block producer of Indonesia. oil. these changes in itself will will stress test Pertamina to the limit. Now, we also need to keep in mind all of these are mature fields. None of these are, you know. Uh, still young fields all of these are mature therefore exploration is needed so again coming back I hope that the young generations also want to see this from non-technical perspective because to me the biggest challenge that facing oil and gas of Indonesia today is highly non-technical it's very uh it's very on the other side I hope that that gives you some idea of my perspective.
1: that's really a great explanation from Mr putra thank you so much so I've heard about the Pertamina how it grows uh until right now. So I, I want to know more about your opinion. Along with petrol industry regulation, economic and things affecting petrol industry, what can you say for Indonesia? In what position are we if we compare it with other countries?
2: Um I think Pertamina has a big potential, but it does need to bring credibility to its plan. Here's the challenge. Today like for example, SKK Migas state, uh, let's go to 1 million barrel in the next three years. And then a, a few, so I, I can't remember whether it's SKK Migas or ESDM. And then people say, well, how do we get to 1 million barrel of oil production in the next three years? And then they revise a statement. Okay, let's do it in 2030. Okay, fine. So now we are aiming for 1 million barrel oil to 2030. So anybody who is a decent expert In the oil and gas sector knows that it is largely an uncredible plan. Now let me repeat that again. This is my personal opinion but you can ask anybody who is willing to speak freely. Is that when we want to make an aggressive target it's fine but we want to also express the credibility of such target to the world right because when we say it when we express a target people can look at us look at Indonesia and say Wow, that's interesting. I think they're actually changing. Let, let's look at it deeper. Or they can say, well, you know, that's just another target. We've seen that five years ago. We've seen that 10 years ago, but nothing has really changed. So this is, to me, the biggest challenge uh, that we have today. That to me, Indonesia, and this is not just the oil and gas sector, um, if we move a bit, you know, on the other side of the bridge, there is the power sector. The power sector also has the same challenges. The credibility of the plan need to be... You know reinforced i would say it is okay to have an aspirational target but we also need to be realistic of what can and what cannot be achieved right so what, what i'm worried is that the young generation will be trapped within this narrative of big stories one key point to that is that always look at the history before you look at the future and then we can determine you know what is the most likely trajectory now coming back to Pertamina, Pertamina has a lot of good initiative. They're expanding into overseas. Uh, we see what we call the Pertamina International uh, P.F. That's what it's called. So they're developing resources in Algeria, you know, bringing them back. Um, at least um, by doing some you know, uh, trade engineering, we can try to reduce the amount of currency deficit that Indonesia has. There is a lot of good initiative, but we also need to be careful that growing in itself does not necessarily means better. I will repeat that again. Growing does not necessarily means better, right? So what happened when your company is growing too rapidly and we cannot shed the assets that is not productive? Right now, uh, I believe, and I, I I believe this is a right statement, but I don't know how and maybe this can be validated, that Pratamena is trying to shed the non-productive assets. So what I'm trying to explain is this. For example, yeah, I'm trying to speak very simply. Uh, Let's say Pertamina has, you know, 10 fields, just for example. And then in the past five years, this 10 becomes, you know, 15, 20, 30. Now we have, by the end of the year, let's say we're going to have 40 different fields. Out of this 40, bringing real benefits. Some of them are bringing cost only because maybe producing them are no longer economic. Now, as an Indonesian, and especially all of you guys as a young, well-educated Indonesian, we need to be very careful when we say, well, Pertamina is growing. Okay, it's fine. But what happened when Pertamina is accumulating basically the entire 65% of Indonesia's oil field that we have today, that many of them may not be economic. So we need to differentiate growing from being uh, economically viable. So toward that, I do hope to see that Pertamina will, you know, I I do know that some of this are in process, but Tamina will say, well, you know, we think that 20% of this field is a low grade. Therefore we're going to, you know, we're going to offer them to whoever investor will be interested, for example. Because at the end of the day, the key growth of Furtamina, I hope will be two things. The first one is the, I don't like to say this, but the first one, I think the biggest hope will be the international growth, uh, because that's probably going to be the quickest win. And the second part would have to be exploration. There is no other way. Indonesia will need to explore now but these two are challenging because as you know exploring comes with a lot of risk you know we're looking at 15-20% uh, success ratio example so there's a lot of uh, steps that Pertamina need to make but I hope that we can resolve them politically as well because uh, I don't know if you if you notice the news like for example Pertamina was planning to increase their investment overseas and then we see some comments from the media saying well why are you developing overseas you know we need to do exploration in Indonesia as well both statements are correct but we also need to see which one can be achieved in the shortest time yeah so uh, so i'm sure pertamina you know they're doing their best but i'm worried that their growth is too rapid and the fields that they are uh, acquiring is all of the mature fields a lot of them will be coming at a high cost
0: okay really interesting then this is going to be another challenge for indonesia and if we want to keep improving our uh, future industry and then talking about the role i want to know specifically for another parties maybe like you know that spe is the society of petroleum engineer so what kind of role that we can take in the future maybe towards that kind of shifting moment or maybe uh, for the spe itself as the organization of the future holder of this
2: industry. My okay. I would think this is my personal opinion. Indonesia needs more thinkers. We have a lot of practitioners. We have a lot of people graduating colleges um, that is entering the workforce, and that is natural. Let's say 99% of the people, you know, after they graduate, they want to work. But I also think that Indonesia needs a lot of thinkers. In the energy sector in the oil and gas sector now thinkers can come from those who have been in industry for a long time thinkers can develop in many kinds of places the reason i'm saying this is that organization like spe is important to bring the reality closer to the ground now i do notice that spe is mainly a technical body but for indonesia's context i do hope that spe can also be an objective voice of uh, viewing Indonesia, for example, I don't know, you know exactly. I'm not. I'm not familiar with SPEs. You know all the papers issued. Let me let me take an example. Has there been any SPE paper talking about what is the new role of Pertamina and its growing assets? You know how is the exploration track record of Indonesia has been? Now these are all critical subjects that everybody needs to be aware of, especially the young people in the college. Now I'm not saying that. Uh, for example, a paper about uh, improving the drilling operation through a new casing design or a a pressure transient analysis for a better well-testing design, it's all important. But at the same time, I do hope SPE can also be the breeding ground of new thinkers that also want to look at it from a a rather techno-economic regulatory perspective. Why am I saying this? Again, because I do think that aside from the technical side of things, I do hope that we're seeing a lot of young thinkers who are exploring the current status of the industry. you know we don't want to talk a lot about too many history you know we can look you know in the 1970s Indonesia is the largest you know LNG producer We need to stop talking about that we just need to look at what's the current state and where we're we going to go next and I do hope I you know out of the, this discussion I can see people who's you know, I'm going to write a paper about how Pertamina has been developing in the past five years. You know, what their asset portfolio looks like, what is their exploration success look like, and how are their financial profile, for example? Maybe SPE can work cross-discipline between petroleum engineering, some people in the economics department, some people in the politics department. That would be, to me, is a very interesting. You know, maybe I'm. I'm uh, that that's too wide of of my uh, aspiration but i do hope i can see more young thinkers who can bring uh the reality closer to the you know to the knowledge of the young generation
1: well that's really give me another vision to become young engineer after i graduate from university of course so mr pudra um, i think this is the end of our session in this uh, podcast so i've heard a lot of things about petroleum industry in many side in many perspective, uh, I know about petroleum industry more clear, clearly and of course, exact reality of this industry. Um, okay, so it was an interesting talk with you, Mr. Putra. Thank you so much Thank for you. enlightening us and makes us able to see petroleum industry from another perspective and another um, role of this industry like government, etc. Thank you so Thank much you
2: for the invite. Lastly, maybe Mr. Portrait, do you have
0: anything that you want to add for our listeners
2: right I guess uh well, first of all, thank you for the invite of this short session that we had today. I guess if I can you know have a small statement is that always look beyond the headline news yeah uh, I'm trying to condense a big big uh, big idea into a short statement because there is a lot of narration going in Indonesia and the young generation need to be very acutely aware of what is the reality that's happening on the ground in Indonesia, in the region, in Asia Pacific, and broadly in the whole world. Now, you have a long way to go in your future and your career, and you have a lot of specific direction. For example, I want to be a professional in the drilling sector. Very good. But you need to understand exactly what the drilling people are looking at 5, 10 to 15 years from now. Um, I guess it's just that, is that I'm asking all the young generation to look beyond the headline news and try to dig deeper and to find colleagues, you know, mentors who are willing to speak with you frankly about your future. Because at the end of the day, it's your future. It's not mine, it's not theirs. You know, we live in a wrong, uh, not wrong, we live in a different generation. You know, each of us has our own perspective. And the perspective that you need today is the perspective for your future and make sure you have a very good mentor to educate you about that yeah so again thank you very much for the invite I hope there's a bit of a useful thing that we discussed today much vanida and lovefia
0: okay thank you so much so not it guys to look beyond the high plane right and yeah I've got a lot of insight from it and I'm sure our listeners are too. But unfortunately, that this is the end of this episode with Mr. Putra. Once again, thank you so much, Mr. Putra. And I really hope thank that you. we can meet again in the future.
2: Thank you so much. Stay well. And hope you all the best and SBE team as well. I mean, thank you.
1: Okay, and for our listeners, if you guys have any feedback for our future improvement, we'd really appreciate that. Stay tuned to our next episode of The Talks by SPU We will provide you with a new episode every third week of the month.
0: And lastly, don't forget to always look up for our next information in our social media. Follow us on Instagram at spugmse and check our website on spugamsc.id.
1: Thank you and see you on the next episode of The Talks by SPU Game Essie. Goodbye.
0: Bye-bye.